check this out. This is my favorite book from when I grew up. This or this? Now this is fun. So this is Bellingham. Is our sweet new girl. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sleep In Service. Glad that you're here. I haven't met you before. My name is Grant, and glad you're along uh, for the next 30 minutes or so as we turn our attention to what God has for us. I asked a group of people over the past week what their primary emotion was right now. Hands down, the most popular answer was frustration. And when they said it, I started thinking, you know what, I'm kind of frustrated too. Here's some examples, but not in the order of importance. There's nothing but reruns on TV, and I'm frustrated. I breathe my own air all week, and I'm frustrated. I have moles in my backyard, and I'm frustrated. I have no idea what God was thinking when it comes to slugs, mosquitoes, snakes, and moles. And if you have any suggestions on relocating the moles in my backyard to heaven... Let me know. Okay, all right. I'm talking to an almost empty room. And while I am so glad we've been doing real church digitally, I'm frustrated because I miss the family of Christ the King. I watch the news. I'm frustrated. I see injustice in the world. And I'm frustrated. How about you? You got furloughed and you're frustrated. You aren't sure where your next meal is coming from. You're frustrated. Your summer plans changed. You're frustrated. Maybe you have moles. Maybe your kids are driving you crazy. Maybe you watch the same news or other news and you're frustrated and frustration leads to discouragement. Discouragement leads to weariness and weariness leads to absolute exhaustion. You come to a point where it feels like you're gonna break. Those breaking points come with life. You know, you're stretched to the limit. Your patience is gone. Your options seem exhausted. You don't know where to turn. And it builds up and layer upon layer upon layer comes. And life continues to happen. The death of a loved one, the loss of a job, rejection by a family member, suffering through a difficult illness. These are tough times. But what if these could also be times when God truly shines in our life? Here's what conventional wisdom says when you get to these points. Just hang on. Just hang on for dear life. Don't move too much and you'll be okay. The problem with that mindset is you're not living. You're just simply surviving. It's all good unless you move. So the world will tell you, just don't move. You're not going anywhere. Hang on tight and just don't let go. That's what conventional wisdom says. Spiritual wisdom paints a completely different picture. I put it this way in your outline. Frustration is a great motivator. In fact, nothing of substance will ever change until you are completely vexed and frustrated by your current reality. Spiritual wisdom actually teaches us ahead of time the world is going to be full of frustration. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Some of you are like, thanks a lot. You will have trouble. Then Jesus says, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. You're going to have frustrating times at work, in your home, with your kids, with your parents, on your Instagram account, with your bank statement and your budgets. You will have trouble. And you can stay in that frustrated mindset or you can look at it through the perspective of what if this frustration was actually brought into my life so I could experience unbelievable spiritual change. We all get to those frustrating moments. 
When my daughter McKenna was about three years old, she and I had a conflict over brushing her teeth. She thought that because she didn't feel like brushing her teeth that she could just jump over top of that nightly task with absolutely no problem. Being her dad, caring about her dental hygiene and having to pay the dentist bills, I, of course, had other ideas. So I tried to verbally cajole my three-year-old and convince her of the importance of brushing her teeth. It didn't work. So I stepped up the pressure and gave her a choice between brushing her teeth or a series of consequences that I assured her she would not enjoy. That didn't work either. Eventually, I found myself arguing with a three-year-old. If you're a parent, you know exactly what that feels like. Our voices were raised. Our tempers are flaring. Roles are being asserted. Our wills are battling. And she brought the entire argument to a grinding halt when she exclaimed at the top of her lungs, this would not be happening if my grandpa was here. Which is true, because Grandpa was, was and still is a pushover. But McKenna was frustrated. She let me know in no uncertain terms that was exactly where she was located. Well, she's not alone, and you're not alone in your frustration. In fact, the Bible's full of people who were frustrated, and they responded in a variety of ways. King David responded to the frustration of his own sin when he prayed, created me a clean heart. Isaiah, in response to the frustration of coming face to face with God and, his, and, and grappling with his own human condition, he panicked with these words, woe to me for I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. Elijah the prophet, he ran. He was frustrated after a historic confrontation with the prophets of Baal, 24 hours later, he's running for his life. He's frustrated with God, so he just runs. Peter's frustrated with his own lack of courage and his inability to stand with Jesus. He's frustrated with his denial. The Bible says he wept bitterly. Samson, Old Testament judge, is frustrated with his own broken condition, how his broken decisions put him in that position. He's frustrated with this loss of intimacy with God. So his response is to call for strength. He pleads with God, God, give me my strength one more time so that I can triumph over my enemies. Jonah, the prophet, he pouted. He was frustrated with God's assignment. God said, go and love the Ninevites. Jonah's like, I don't want to love the Ninevites. He pouted because he was mad and frustrated. James, the brother of Jesus, was frustrated with our lack of godly perspective when it comes to frustration. So he reflected these words to us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. And then we come to, to this guy, a man we're going to spend the morning with. Man by the name of Naaman. Naaman's frustrated with God's plan for his physical healing, and so he argues with God. Let me read to you the story of Naaman from 2 Kings chapter 5. The Bible says this Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram was actually modern day Syria. He was a great man in his sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but, and you may want to circle that word, but he had leprosy. So get the picture. Naaman is a commander in the Syrian army. The Bible tells us he's a man of great strength and courage. He was highly regarded and respected, but he had leprosy. Leprosy was a death sentence. Leprosy was a terrible disease, a skin condition that robbed you of everything good in your body in this slow, torturous process. Naaman is suffering from this disease. He knows he's going to die, but he's got this biblical community built around him. Naaman has a servant girl 
who cared enough about him to tell him that there may be a solution. There was a man of God, a guy by the name of Elisha, who might be able to help him be cured. Naaman decides that this is going to be his story. He goes to his king, the king of Syria, and requests permission to go and seek out this man of God who's living in Israel. Naaman takes a letter from his king as well as a significant amount of money and goods in hopes of either influencing or buying his way into a cure. Now picture this moment. Naaman, a commander from a rival army, shows up in the king of Israel's palace with a letter demanding that he be healed of leprosy. Wow. The king of Israel responds, I can't heal people of a disease. You think I'm God? And then he goes on to accuse the king of Syria, Naaman's boss, of actually trying to pick a fight with him. Elisha, the man of God, hears about the situation and tells the king, hey, send the Syrian commander to me. And when Naaman arrives, it's somewhat comical, but Elisha sends out his servant with a simple message. He doesn't even go outside himself. He sends his servant with a simple message. Go dunk yourself in the River Jordan seven times. And Naaman's response, he's frustrated. In fact, he's angry. 2 Kings 5 verse 11 says this, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought surely he, being Elisha, would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. And then he goes on and says, are not the Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Those of you who have traveled with me in Israel, you know something about the River Jordan. The Jordan River in certain sections are pristine. The waters are pristine and clear. You can see all the way to the bottom of the river. But there are other sections where, to be honest, the the waters are muddy and silt-filled. They're kind of gross. You would never think of going into that kind of water. So Naaman's angry. He's frustrated. And then his community shows up again for him. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. Naaman wants to be healed. He just wants to do it on his terms. So he argues with God's plan. Have you ever argued with God? I have. And we'll get there in just a second. You know, one of my uh, favorite pastimes is simply watching kids interact with each other. And a long time ago, uh, when we were still meeting together, uh, actually in this room and and in church, uh, I was off one weekend and I had an opportunity to simply walk up and down the hallways that are filled with uh, the kids of CTK and their incredible volunteers. And as I stuck my head into one of the rooms, I watched two little guys who I'm absolutely positive will be politicians someday. They were trying to negotiate over a toy. And it didn't take long for the negotiations to break down. And out came the statements. One of them said, no. A couple of seconds later, another one said, but it's mine. Another one eventually said, he hit me. And finally, it ended up with, you're not the boss of me. And we hear those statements and we go, yeah, kids these days. And then we read the Bible and we hear ourselves. Hey, Grant, you need to go and tell your neighbors how much I love them. No. 
Grant, you need to honor me with your finances and see if I'll keep my promises. But it's mine. Grant, you need to forgive the people who've hurt you the most. But he hit me. Grant, you need to surrender all. All. Oh yeah, Jesus, well, you're not the boss of me. Naaman argues with God until his servants show him the futility of arguing with God. I so love in this story that the servants teach the boss a lesson. And I love their line of reasoning. So if God, if God would have told you to do some great thing, like Naaman, if he would have told you to go on this great conquering you know, military campaign, that would have been enough for you. Come on, Naaman. I mean, if God would have asked you to gather a stadium full of people and tell your story, I mean, surely that would have been great enough. But, but, but you don't want to go because the water's too dirty? Really? Naaman's humbled and he heads for the river. He dunks himself seven times. And I'm going, to give, I'm going to give you the ending, okay? Spoiler alert. The Bible says when he came up out of the water the seventh time, his flesh was restored and became like that of a young boy. And Naaman walks out of that river with new skin and a new heart. Naaman lives out four principles that I believe are going to help all of us on a journey. Because I believe that today God wants us to move from frustration to wholeness. Principle number one. You have to admit you're sick before you will pursue a cure. Naaman was an army general, a commander. He was used to going up against the toughest odds and winning. He was tough, and any obstacle or challenge that he'd ever met was demolished when he went right through the center of it with sheer guts, tenacity, and leadership. And then he hit head-on an opponent that wouldn't flinch. No amount of human effort could overcome leprosy. He had a terminal disease, and he was sick. Several years ago, I fell out of a tree. I fell about six feet. I landed on my elbow and my shoulder. That's what hit first. And when I hit the ground, I did what any man would do. I popped up, started walking in a circle and saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. My elbow's twice the size of normal, but I, and I'm having a little difficulty breathing, but I am fine. I woke up the next morning. I was not fine. Somebody get me to the doctor. I finally had to admit that I was sick and that something was broken right here. Admitting you're broken is hard because we've made an art in our culture out of being fine. It's one of the biggest lies we tell. Because underneath of being fine are broken relationships, broken families, crushed dreams, hurt feelings. We are not Fine. Admitting you're not fine is the first step in looking for wholeness. Susie Larson is an incredible writer. She wrote these words. She said, dare to believe that even though the odds may be against you, they're really irrelevant when God comes on the scene. Leprosy was a death sentence. Huge odds in the favor of death. And yet God comes on the scene and suddenly the odds, they're just irrelevant. But it all starts with Naaman saying, I'm sick. You know, I love this church for a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons I love it is because this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Every one of us, if we're honest, has wreckage and ruin in our lives, and we've basically come to the end of ourselves, and we realize the only option we have left is God and obeying God. 
So if you're watching today and you're not okay, boy, you are in really, really good company and I promise you God will meet you here. Principle number two, looking for a quick fix robs you of the treasures found in God's refinement process. I love the fact that Naaman says, this is why I'm angry. I thought the prophet of God would come out and just wave his hand over top of the spot and everything would be taken care of. It's not the way it worked. So yesterday, Saturday afternoon, before we recorded, um, or before we did live cast of our Saturday service, I was doing old school pastoral ministry, just picking up the phone and calling people and checking in on them. I have a friend who has battled physical ailment after physical ailment, medical setback after medical setback, yet he has the most incredible attitude. I asked him how he handles the burden of chronic, persistent, physical pain. He's in pain 24-7. His answer was amazing. He said, I handle it with gratitude for all of the lessons I've learned along the way. He told me a little of his story, which I've heard before. He said before his first disease, he had no need for God at all. He thought he was just strong enough on his own. And then he got sick. And he started his list off. He said, I learned how to pray when my back was fused. I learned how to worship when my legs gave out. I learned humility when I needed to ask for help for everything. I learned how to really have a conversation when I had nothing better to do, only to find out that I really have nothing better to do than to connect with another human being in a deep conversation. He said, I learned how to encourage my physical therapists when they were discouraged working with me. He said, I learned how to laugh when I was learning how to walk again. I learned how to taste my food when I had to slow down and swallow slowly because I couldn't swallow fast. He said, I've learned so many valuable lessons in the process of trying to get well. And some of those lessons we don't want to learn, but the truth is they become so much more a part of our soul when we choose to view those lessons as a gift from God. Naaman thinks he's going to take care of it like this. He brings money and power in the form of a government document. He goes to the wrong person (laughs) looking for the wrong kind of answer. He tries every avenue, every avenue fails. Naaman begins to realize, I'm in a situation, I can't self-help my way out of it, I can't positive think my way around it, I can't chant your way over it, I can't channel my way through it, I can't even pretend it's not there, it just won't go away. Maybe I should turn to God. And God goes, finally, finally, bring the burden of your frustration to me. Come to the foot of the cross and lay it down. Years ago, my wife Laurel was reading a book called Lessons I Learned in the Dark. The blind author Jennifer Rothschild makes an incredible point. I think it's worth saying. She wrote, sometimes it takes as much faith to carry a burden as it does to believe that God can take it away. Principle number three. You have to be fully submerged to find relief. What do you think Naaman was thinking when he went into the water? I mean, I wonder if he had a different thought every time he went under the water and came back up again. This is so stupid. I can't believe I'm doing this. What if it doesn't work? I don't think I can take much more. Shouldn't I be seeing some kind of change at this point? I mean, I've I've gone under five different times. God, I'm scared. God, please. What I love about Naaman is regardless of the frustration, he does the hard work 
of obedience. Regardless of our frustration, we must do the hard work of obedience. Naaman wanted healing on his own terms. He wanted to keep his own dignity and his stature and his reputation. He found out it doesn't work that way. He finds out that if you're going to really get to God's way, you're going to have to surrender your way. And I'm going to promise you, you will never surrender your way and choose God's way unless you have a God you can trust. Unless you have a God big enough to tackle your condition. Unless you have a God that still walks on water, moves stones, and heals disease. One more principle. Principle number four, you must fully obey to be fully whole. Do you think Naaman wanted to quit along the journey? I guarantee it. And the truth is this, Naaman could have stopped at six submersions, but the only thing that he would have proved is that if you go into a dirty river, you get wet. But he finishes the instructions. He trusts God. He does what seems illogical. And when he comes up from the water the seventh time, I believe Naaman would have said, it was all worth it. Every step of it was worth it. In 1967, a young man by the name of Charles Murray was training for the Olympics in diving. Charles had a friend who had shared Jesus with him repeatedly. And Charles was, was, you know, he was patient with the conversations, but he had no interest in God whatsoever. And their conversations actually came to an end one night when Charles's friend asked him point blank, Charles, do you know Jesus? And Charles's answer was quick and simple. No, and I have no interest in knowing Jesus. Charles thought he was done with God, but God was not done with Charles. The Holy Spirit of God kept after Charles, prodding him with questions about his life and his priorities and his future. What's going to happen to you after the days of diving from a high platform are gone? What happens when the roar of the crowd doesn't, doesn't satisfy that hole in your soul? Charles, what are you going to do with your life? And the questions began to plague Charles. He couldn't get them out of his mind. One night, insomnia sets in. He can't sleep because God is just pushing and prodding him. And so Charles does the only thing that he knew to do to help calm his mind down. He went to the pool to dive. It was really, really late. And the complex that Charles was training at was actually a state-of-the-art complex in 1967, one of the first buildings to ever be built with a completely glass ceiling. Charles, when he got there, realized that the moon was so bright that night coming through the glass ceiling that he didn't even bother to turn the lights on in the pool. Just whatever. He climbed to the top of the highest platform, went out to the edge of the diving platform, and took the position that we are very commonly known as, as a position that every diver takes right before they jump. The moon from behind Charles actually caused a shadow to fall on the bottom of the pool. And what Charles saw was not the outline of a man getting ready to dive, but the outlined silhouette of a man preparing to die. In that moment, all of the conversations he'd had with his friend about Jesus dying on a cross was laid out 
fully and completely before him. His own shadow looked just like a man dying on a cross. And Charles crumpled. In a moment of surrender, he fell to his knees right on the top of the diving platform. And his frustration with his own broken life overwhelmed him and he gave his life to Christ right then and right there. That was the story that Charles Murray would tell you. But the story wasn't over. In fact, as he was finished praying and collecting himself at the top of that platform, the lights came on in the building and Charles looked down over the edge of the platform to see a pool attendant come into the building and check the empty pool that had been drained of water just 24 hours prior. Charles was saved that night, not once, but twice. So how about you? God wants your frustration. In fact, he said he'll take it from you. You know, maybe you're watching right now and you've been arguing with God all week. Whatever it is that you're arguing with God about, what if you surrendered that part of you? What if you surrendered those questions, those tension points? What if you brought them to Jesus and said, God, I'm tired of not being okay. Would you take this burden from me? Maybe you're watching and you're frustrated because you think that God created you to do some great thing and you're a little frustrated because God keeps asking you to be faithful in small things. Like actually telling your neighbor about God's love for them or dropping a meal off to somebody who's sick or having a conversation with that person who's in the cubicle next to you. Can I tell you something? What God asks you to do is never insignificant. And what if you were faithful in those Small things. Those small things may be absolutely insignificant to the people around you, but they are not insignificant to God. Obedience to God is never insignificant. You know, maybe you're watching right now and you're just trying to summon up the courage to go up and down one more time. It's like one more attempt at a small group, one more prayer for that lost family member. One more attempt to surrender this stubborn area of your soul that just doesn't want to surrender to God. Maybe you're frustrated. But I have to ask the question, what if one more prayer is the moment when God breaks in and actually saves your lost loved one? What if one more attempt at a small group would actually usher you into a biblical community where people could, could know you and you could be known? What if, what if this is the moment when everything that you've been through actually comes to bear in a moment when God breaks through in spite of the odds and actually transforms your life? Maybe you're watching and you don't know God at all. Maybe you have no use for God just like Charles Murray did. Well, what if today, in the shadow of the cross, you gave your life fully and completely, surrendered your life to Jesus and got not only a new heart, but a new life? Wouldn't that be worth it? 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and I'm actually going to leave that with you. And my prayer is that today, in this moment, that this would be your day of salvation, that this would be your day of surrender. And that Naaman in his frustration would teach us the lessons and the principles that we need to learn so that through the rest of this week, we would not be looking for some great thing to do, but that we would be looking for those small moments of surrender and obedience when God meets us and transforms our heart. Would you pray with me right now? God, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters who may be frustrated, and I pray that they would see this It's a glorious opportunity for you to shine. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for those who are struggling with physical ailments, and I pray in the name of Jesus for healing. God, I pray that they would be obedient, that they would be fully and completely surrendered, just like Naaman, that they would draw near to you because you draw near to them. God, I pray for those who may be stubbornly hanging on to an area of their life that they just don't want to surrender. And I pray that right now that they would come to the feet of Jesus, to the foot of the cross of Jesus. And that they would surrender all. God, I pray for those who are frustrated because it seems like life is futile. And I pray that this would be the moment when they fully surrender to you. God, I pray for those right now who have no need for God, but suddenly in this moment feel compelled to take a step towards Jesus and to take the salvation that he offers. God, I pray that right now they would surrender their life, that they would confess their sin, that they would reach for you as you are reaching for them. God, I pray that they would acknowledge they're not okay. And I pray, God, in that moment that your grace and your mercy would cover them as they fully surrender their life to you. God, may we all not be stuck in our frustration, but may we respond in obedience this week to do anything and everything that the God of the universe would ask us to do. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Naaman's example. May we find not only new skin this week, but new heart and new hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you so much for taking an hour of this beautiful summer day. At least it's beautiful here in Whatcom County. I want to say thank you and hello to everyone who's watching around the globe We've actually had multiple people from multiple countries checking in with us, and we're so glad that you're here, and we want you to know we love you, and we're praying for you as well. Hey, if you'd like to connect with us, you can go to our website, ctk.church. You can fill out prayer requests there. You can have a pastor contact you through there. If you received Christ today, we would love to hear your story. And so you can go to the website and just click on the applicable places, and we would love to hear your story. Please share your story with us so that we can celebrate the changes that God is making inside of you right now. And once again, we'll be back one week from now. uh, And we actually, next weekend, are going to be so blessed. So one of the most incredible 
um, moments that I've actually seen manifested in my own family came through a collide event where a young lady by the name of Emily Jameson taught a group of ladies how to recognize the voice of God. Well, it, it had an incredible impact on the people who were there. Someone told me, in fact, my wife told me about the podcast, and so I listened to it. I was so moved by what Emily taught. And Emily's actually going to be with us here next weekend, live, all three services. And I am telling you, you do not want to miss this powerful communicator. She's going to show us and teach us how we can know for sure that God is speaking to each one of us every single day. So don't miss next weekend. I'm excited to be here to listen, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic as Emily comes and preaches week number three in our series that we're simply calling this. So once again, God bless you guys. We'll see you back here one week from today. Have an incredible week. God bless you, and have a great summer. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.